0: Welcome to Dragon Talk everyone. Dragon Talk.
1: Dragon Talk.
0: Usually you're making all kinds of like crowd noise, but that was just like one clap and okay. I was like I was waiting for I'm more. I'm going to
1: tell you why cuz I I overheard an episode of Dragon Talk and I thought that the claps were a little annoying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know. So,
1: even though I like kind of move away from the microphone when I do it, I'm like, "Oh, I, I wonder if people are annoyed by the clapping." So, <laughs> Now I'm just gonna do some more like aggressive cheerleading claps.
0: I like it. I like it. That's Shelly Mazzanoble learning by um, listening for the first time <laughs> in five years.
1: I try. I I am dedicated to making the best possible show that we can.
0: Excellent. Obviously. and I am Craig Tito uh, also dedicated to making this the official D and d podcast the best that it can be. <laughs> We've got uh, amazing guests, uh, plural. We've got yes. five amazing people joining us from a Transplaner RPG, uh, talking all about their amazing uh, live-streamed show, uh, Being All Trans, and uh, the storytelling that comes from that sense of community and joy. And they are all wonderful, and we can't wait to uh, share that interview with you. Great stuff. I learned a lot. I laughed. Yes. I cried. Uh, I gave some I high fives. I did. At
1: one point, I feel like there was so much joy and love that I was feeling a little emotional.
0: For sure. I can't wait for you guys yeah. uh, to listen in. Uh, but in the meantime, before we get to uh, a wonderful how to DM segment, we want to make yeah. sure everyone knows about Candle Keep. Mysteries! Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I can't I, I can't hold it in. Yay. Can't hold it all the clapping. I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm excited what about Candlekeep
0: mysteries. Fantastic anthology coming on March 16th. Two covers, uh standard and an alternate cover. All of these adventures in this book. There's 17 of them, as I said, are written by authors. From the D&D community, some, uh, you know, veterans, some brand new to adventure writing. We got to uh, share with the press um, three of the amazing contributors, Amy Vorpal, Jennifer Kretschmer, and Tamor Raymond. You got to hear a little bit about their stories and a little tidbit about what their specific adventure was about. Um, But each one of these is a short Module basically that you can play mm-hmm. uh, in a one shot setting, either in a single session or, or, or uh, uh, a short multiple sessions, uh, and complete it similar to uh, Tales for the Yawning Portal or it Goes to Solve Marsh or previous um, a- anthology books like this. But they're not as connected. You're not going to play them as a campaign going all the way through because they're designed to be books that you pull off the shelf in Candle Keep and then they might have a, a, a mystery uh, that you have to solve. Uh, throughout it. I love that it. part. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Candlekeep, of course, you know, it's been a location in the Forgotten Realms that has mystified uh, fans for, for decades. Um, it's a fortress where all the knowledge is kept. Uh, lots of great, interesting stories to tell within that. Some of the adventures that you'll go on in Kendall keep Mysteries could take you to other places from that area. Some are centered in the fortress itself. You'll get more information and background on Uh, the settlement of Candlekeep itself in Candlekeep Mysteries. Um, That part is written by Chris Lindsay. We might be talking to him on a future Mm, Dragon Talk episode uh, about all that. Uh, And then of course, Chris Perkins was the overseer over uh, all of this development of Candlekeep Mysteries and what a cool story it was for him to uh, talk about how he got his start writing adventures and then being able to do that for uh, new adventure writers here in, uh, in 2021.
1: Full circle. I can't help but think who, who is the Chris Perkins of the future out there that will keep this, keep this beautiful circle going? The so,
0: circle of life. circle
1: of, of D&D life. It's, it's a wonderful true. story. And um, I like also that, you know, there's a lot of things in this book for Dungeon Masters. If mm-hmm. They just want to, like, you know, pull out some of that content and, and overlay it into the games that they're already playing. There's a yeah. lot of resources here
0: for you. I mean, every, uh, well, not every, but many fantasy stories that you are out there have to do with uh, libraries or knowledge or, or, or the discovery of that knowledge. And so these are easy to drop into any campaign. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely set in the Forgotten Realms in Keep, but you can pull it and drop it into anything very easily, uh, especially if you're just looking for a new, fun one-shot to jump into. Uh, yes, and I really online. like the idea of
1: Yes. I'm, I like the idea of just um, a book kind of being that trigger for, yeah. uh, for a story. Just like the discovery of a book. Something and seems so of, innocent, but...
0: Right, and how many of the, the interviews that we've you. done here on Dragon Talk have started with, oh, I found a D&D manual and I, when I was a child and I didn't know what it was and it took me to this other plane of existence, Yes, uh, which yes. is the imagination and so that's yep. that's this in a microcosm. I like that. So good. Very cool. So good. So that's yeah. going to be March sixteenth, as we said. Uh, two copies. If you want to get the alternate copy that is modeled to look like a uh, book from Candlekeep, you have to get it through your local game store. So go check it out there. Uh, otherwise, you can uh, pre-order it online uh, wherever you can. Uh, but of course, uh, we encourage you to get it from a local source if you can. Yes, and yes. we've got so many more fun things to announce in 2021, but we are not able to talk about them right now, Shelley, right? Uh, we're, we are
1: not allowed to talk about them right now, but I'm going to tell you that at least seven times I almost did. Um,
0: <laughs> when, I during like, this interview? It's,
1: yes, because it was like, there were so many things that were like, oh, oh, oh I can't say that. But um, yes, really very excited about about what's coming up.
0: Just you wait. Um, mm-hmm. But luckily, you don't have to wait too long to hear Shelly talk to Trick Jarrett yeah. uh, on, yes. on some how-to-DM stuff. And I'm really interested in this. There's a uh, something that he uses that I think would be a boon to anyone who's playing D&D online right now, right?
1: Yeah, well, online, in person, one day. But uh, a really, he's... Uh, He's got a great system for keeping track of of his entire campaign, um, which is a homebrew campaign. And I've always been curious about how how do dungeon masters remember like who works at what tavern and what place hmm. the players have already visited and what's actually on this continent. So um, this is a, a great little segment about um, keeping track of all of your awesome homebrew notes.
0: Let's take a listen.
1: All right, welcome to How to Be a DM. I'm Shelly Mazzanoble, and I am still way too scared to try to be a dungeon master.
2: You got to change that.
1: But my guest here isn't. (laughs) I am talking to one of my favorite Wizards co-workers, Trick Jarrett, who is Senior Content Strategist, which is maybe the most unintuitive title (laughs) I've ever heard. What is it you do here, Trick?
2: Uh, I am focused on helping define and scope and shape the content strategy Uh, you know working with the different stakeholders the different brands uh, Magic and D&D and the different parts of both brands to figure out content that accomplishes their needs that uh, um, is stuff our fans want to watch all that sort of stuff
1: like like this segment like
2: this segment that's right
1: Okay, well, hopefully they give us an a good thumbnail, unlike you know some of those <laughs> other ones I've seen out there. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you because I've heard about your um, campaign for a while now, and I know that you uh you you do homebrew. Is that mm-hmm. yeah? So you 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 have been building your own world for how long now?
2: Well, I've 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 been a world builder and fan of that for years i actually uh my high school senior year i had two free periods uh i think it was the last half of the year i had two free periods and was given a self-study project and i made a, a world uh so basically for five days a week i had two hours of school literal school time that i was able to do world building and that's not even the world that i'm playing D and that's that's stuff from you know back in the day when i was a kid um, That's incredible. I, I've been working on this world as an idea for probably two years as a concept. It really started to come into its own, I would guess, October of 2019 of me sort of like, okay, I understand I understand what this world is now. Uh, and then I've been running an active D&D game almost every week, uh, actually since January last year. We just crossed the one year mark.
1: In this world? Mm-hmm. So, what was it like? So, this world lived in your head for a long time, and then you actually got to see people experiencing your world. I imagine that's probably like seeing somebody in the wild reading a book that you wrote yeah
2: like, what-, uh, what was what I did was I actually put together a primer on the world for the players because it it has oh, cool. stuff that is relevant and recognizable to. D d as normal you know there's a lot of the same races but there's also twists on each of them. I have different sub races and stuff like that for elves and dwarves and um, I also put the disclaimer in here is like not everything in this document may, like it, it, the document was like here's what you your character would know of the world. but I also put the disclaimer for the player of not everything in this document may be true.
3: like okay. I, I
2: want them to be there are things in the world that are common knowledge and common belief. But are not necessarily the actual facts, um, which is an actually incredibly important feature of the world because of how the magic and cosmology of it all works. Uh, is knowledge and truth is a, a core f- facet and feature that's being explored in it.
1: Oh, okay. That's cool. I was going to ask if that is part of the world or just your way of saying I made this up. Give me, cut me some slack
2: here, guys. Uh, a little bit of column A, <laughs> a little of column B, um, primarily for the the narrative purposes, but uh, also some leeway for myself to say I might end up changing things as we go along.
1: As you should. Yeah. Uh, so I I like the concept of world building, but mostly because if I screw up some rules, which I inevitably will, which is really one of the biggest deterrents for me in dungeon mastering. But if I mess things up, I can just be like, nope, that's how it works in my world. I just feel like I'd have more freedom. But I think a really big drawback would be that you don't have a, a book that's already published and printed and that you can go back and reference if you forget something or if, you know, like i mean it's already tracked in, in in a nice bound publication for you when you're building your own world that onus is on you right so that's what i want to talk about is how the heck do you keep all of this stuff straight and clear and organized
2: uh well when i first started and actually when the campaign started i had a 40 page google doc okay. that was just a compilation of every single thing that I knew I wanted to talk about in this world or, or I, things I needed to write down the different regions, who they are, what they're about. And, and a lot of it was nothing more than a couple of sentences or even just bullet points. Like for a lot of the world, I, I, I fully fleshed out or, or strongly fleshed out the starting location of the players. I was okay. I know that they're going to start in this place. This is where I want the adventure to start. And they're going to take a journey from this small town to the major metropolis. And so I defined that continent really well. And then I took the rest of the map that I had drawn, and I literally would just write three facts about these other continents, such that I could call upon them as rumors that people might hear or, or use them as potential plot hooks when I'm in need of something that I just need to grab and, and dangle out there that we might come back to later. Uh, and so that document was really my main source. But as I said, it was a long document, and it was actually – unwieldy to use and hard to easily access. And so I I started looking for other tools and um, I'm fairly tech savvy. I like web. I I did web development for several years. I'm, I'm capable in that area. And so I was exploring, you know, making my own thing using a a wiki solution. And I actually came across a tool called notion um, which is a, a knowledge management tool. It's like a wiki, but it's actually got a lot of features. It's designed for, teams and corporate companies to use for collaboration. It's used, um, it, it can, you know, stand in for your own website if you want to use it in that way. Um, and it's great. It's got a free, free user level. This is, I'm, I'm not officially involved in the company in any way, obviously. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, not a sponsored this
1: episode. This is not a sponsored <laughs>
2: segment, but it, Notion has really enabled me to run the game that we're talking about because uh, of one key feature that is incredibly useful for me which is um, databases. And the database in here is essentially like a Excel documents. You put a bunch of information in, but they give you the ability to have different views. So like if, if you're, for example, I have, I have a database of all of the NPCs that I've created in this world, whether the players know them or not. And I can have this searchable thing and I can actually change the view. And if I have art associated with the characters, there's a portrait view. There's a, there's a gallery view. Oh my God. And the step that goes further than that, and it's kind of hard to just talk about and not show, but the database view also lets me pull essentially subsections of that database for different views. So, like, I can go to the page of one of the continents, and I can embed a part of the database that says, okay, I want all of the NPCs who I've marked as being on this continent. And it automatically updates and keeps that all straight for me, such that I only have to make a change in one location and everywhere else is updated about where is this NPC currently located? Things like Wait,
1: that. Wait, no. Yes. So, the, I mean, like, because they're going to move around. And mm-hmm. it, so you can, you track them this way. So in case you were like, oh, let's have them talk to old man Wilbur from the, 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 the inn. But then a year ago, old man Wilbur went to go visit his daughter in some other continent. You can... Right. If I, if, I, if I
2: decide that an NPC has changed locations, then I change it in the database.
1: Oh, my gosh. And,
2: and I mean, I don't do this largely outside of planning for sessions. There's not, there's, not a, a, there's not a, you know, I don't spend hours a day just simulating the world in my mind outside of like planning for my next D&D. Well, and that's fine. That's great. But I just <laughs> like, wanted to manage expectations around what I do. Uh, I've also used the tool. I don't use it as much right now because they aren't in a segment that says NPC heavy. But I also, like when I do session notes, when I'm playing d d when I'm doing my prep, I can tag in PCs that I think they're likely to run into or I'm planning for them to run into. And then I can embed a view of the, the character database that is, here are all of the characters that I need at a glance of information they're going to need or things like that.
1: So you just keep this up and running while mm-hmm. you're DMing.
2: Yeah, I cannot, run, I cannot run this game and maintain the story and world without the access to my Notion database. Um, and it's not just for NPCs. I also actually just over the holiday migrated all of my geographic data. Like I said, I have continents, I have yeah. you know, mountain ranges, I have all, cities, moved all of that into a similar database so that I can have similar views and have a, a centralized management system for tracking that geographic data, um, and again, this is super hardcore. This is this is way above and beyond that you what you need to do for running your own homebrew world. But I love world building. I love knowing that this world exists in my mind and having this information to reference.
1: Well, I know that a lot of of our dungeon masters love world building too, and I think a, a lot. This is a good tool for for a newer. Dungeon Master, because like, like you're saying, like you can do a lot of prep before you even have a group together yeah, to run totally. a game. So this might be a good way for them to just use it to start building that Absolutely. world. Absolutely.
2: Um, and one of the things that I would also suggest is have the idea for your world, but accept that by putting players in this world, you don't get to own the world whole, wholly anymore. Like if they're going to go and blow up a castle, you don't get to, you know... I mean, you can say in terms of the, the records or whatever that sure the castle exists, but uh, have that acceptance and willingness, and also let, like it's fun to let my characters my players, create NPCs and tell me who they're going to talk to or who they're going to run into, or I tell them a name and then they tell me what this character looks like, things like that. Um, and so, just having that communal storytelling also added into the narrative of D anD D is another thing that I like to do.
1: And then, is there any sort of like output feature that for the the players because I imagine like they don't have access to your data so they don't have
2: they don't have access to the entire corpus of the world obviously but um, in terms of running the game I have a separate section in inside of my notion um, account I guess uh, that's sort of like where I run where I track my playing of D&D or my running of DND and I gave each of the players their own essentially page. Uh, And they're then able to go in and keep their own notes like the player who's the note keeper. He goes in and writes the session notes that he keeps in the database. And that actually allowed for me to pull a really fun thing early on in this campaign, where um, I don't know if you've heard of the um, what's now I'm forgetting what it's called. The uh, um, false Hydra. Do you have you heard of the false Hydra?
1: No.
2: It's a creation from a blogger online. Um, I'll provide the link to the team so they can be in the show notes. It's a super fun concept that that's very reminiscent of some of the villains and bad guys we see in like Doctor Who or other fantasies where it starts messing with your memory. Um, when this creature is around, if you can hear its song, you blank out and lose track of time, and you and oh. uh, it starts messing with your memory. And then if it kills someone you forget that person ever existed. You you start coming across these rough edges in your memory where it's like, how did this happen? And your brain tries to make things work. Uh, I won't give away too much because if, if, if players are listening, I don't want to ruin it for DMs, but it's a great fun thing. And what I did with, because I had access to his notes, was I created a copy of his notes. And then I went through and modified it for the moment of the reveal of what was going on. And I revealed to the characters that they had had another part, player, another character in the party that they had not known about for any oh. session up until this moment. Oh my God. And when they vanquished this monster, the memories came rushing back of this character who was gone. No and they, they were, yeah. And they were forced to reckon with this and reconcile the fact that this character who the players had never had an association with, but suddenly learned had been with them on this entire journey. And I had put that into his notes so that, uh, when I made the reveal, I said, okay, now go check your notes for the this, this new section. And no. Mm-hmm.
1: That is such a cool... So this was a character that you just made up. There was never...
2: Yeah, written. no. I, I knew I was going to do a false hydra pretty early on because I just thought it was such a cool idea. And the false yeah. hydra is meant to be a much bigger boss. So I made much... Bo- like, they were, I think, third or fourth level when they faced it. So I made it like a... Super old version, and it has ties to the larger story arc that I was putting together. But it was like session five when I did this to so the ca- the characters, and one person had never played D anD D before, so this was a complete mind warp for them
1: yeah. to, to wrap
2: their mind around. Of this is what D anD D can be.
1: I mean, that's just like I'm just thinking as a player, like how that had that would be hard hard to to deal with, like the thought right. of like but i want to grieve this person that never existed.
2: <laughs> yep, and they actually the group just at the end of last year got an airship and they decided to name the ship after this character, which i oh. thought was also a, a really amazing narrative that the characters the players did where they brought yeah. it back to this character who we had. Like they could easily forget about this character and move on with the game.
1: Right.
2: But the characters have kept it close and and, and involved, which is great. And it goes back to what i mentioned earlier on that truth and in fact is uh, a big core part of this campaign and memory and, and recognition of that sort of stuff. So I, I wanted to do that early on in the game to sort of hammer home that this is going to be a theme that I'm looking to explore with this campaign.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess that's another good reason why you need good notes. If
2: mm-hmm. you're gonna... um,
1: so talk a little bit mo- like more about the session notes. And I always hear people talk about session notes, but like, as the dungeon master, how much do you actually keep track of and what is, is that just like stream of consciousness or what are you actually uh, tracking there?
2: So again, a feature of Notion is that you can have templ- templates. So I have a template that is my, where I start every session note document. And what it does is it, the first thing I, I always do is like, okay, here are the, the bullet points of what I think the characters are going to do this session. Sometimes I'm wildly off, okay. But this is sort of the path I'm laying out, and if they want to go off of it, I will roll and we will we'll, we'll play this game. Um, but I start with the bullet points, figure out what are like they're going to meet so and so, they're going to get a, a quest here, they're going to start their journey, uh, and then I flesh out further from that. Okay, here's the NPC they're going to meet. Here's what I here are the here's the information that they have, um, a rough description of what they look like. I, I don't. I tend to write an intro that's sort of like a brief recap of what happened last session. Um, But I I don't stick to it too tightly and and we usually are chatting when we get going. So it's kind of an awkward, okay, everyone, I'm going to, I'm going to monologue for a little while. And so I don't, I don't do that too often or much. It's usually a paragraph. Um, And then it's just me making notes of what I want to go. If they're going to a new town, I have to flesh out the town. What are the names of the buildings? What are the names of the taverns? Who are the NPCs? Uh, not, not the, again, not the entirety of the town, but the top level of what I expect. And then I keep a list of NPC names that I draw from or anything like that when I need to make something off of the cuff. Um, but generally it's, again, where I think the path's going to go. And I'm probably 60%. And if the session goes differently and we're going to instead do what I planned next session, then I'll just copy stuff over to the next session notes. If it's uh, not going to be relevant, if it's stuff that needs to be, you know, added to my, if it's a new character I need to add to the NPC table, then I'll go in and add that. If it's a city I've defined, then I'll add it to the the larger information. So I'll keep whatever information I need from that session note and then import it into the larger ILT world database. And then I'll start it all over again for the next session.
1: Oh my God. Um, I'm such like a, un, like a, a notes and like, I love organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so like, this is actually getting me really excited about d because <laughs> I'm just like, I just want to take notes. I just want to organize things. I just want a database that I can search. It just seems like just a fun, creative exercise to just make stuff up.
2: It really is. And that's one of the reasons I love world building. And like the one I'm playing d and in is the one that I have by far the most on, but I've got two or three other worlds that I've got concepts for that I haven't really started to flesh out uh, or build on. So like Sanya, which is the world that I've been playing in, is really focused on it is its own bubble. Um, it's its own bubble cosmologically because of necessity for the narrative and and what's going on in the world. But there's also a very strong magical reason for the world to be built this way is that there's actually an everlasting afterlife um, in a more real world than in most D&D campaigns. Like there's what I call the infinite court. So when someone dies, they go to this vast wasteland of a world called the infinite court. They don't need to eat. They don't need to drink. They just exist. And so does everyone else who has ever existed. And so, and then there's communication between the living world and the infinite court via this church group organization called the Vast Collective. And they're, sort of like the Catholic church crossed with Ma Bell at the top of its um, monopoly. Like they're they're for the most part, a beneficial good organization, but they have so much power. They wield so much power. They could easily turn evil and then the world's in real trouble. And so there's this like ascending spell essentially between the, the living world and people in the infinite court. And um, so you can have communication back and forth, which is where the knowledge comes from. Like no knowledge is lost. How does that change an existing world where you're no longer like, oh, let's find an uncovered tome. Instead it's like, let's find the right person in the infinite court or let's, let's ask the right question of these people. Um, and I forget what led me down this, this description of my world, but there's a lot of notes that come along with this idea because I need to keep track of who's alive, who's dead, who knows what, all that sort of stuff.
1: Have the players ever tried to contact their missing party member through the infinite court?
2: So that, that also plays into this world. Um, it's not, it's, I say everyone who's ever died, and it's actually not. Uh, there is a group of people in the living world who don't go to the infinite court. Uh, of, and largely based off of ancestry and race. Uh, and the missing uh, party member was a tabaxi. And tabaxis are one of the races who don't go to the infinite court. Oh, So I did that per- partly purposefully uh, for the ease on me as a narrative of not having to flesh out every story again. Yeah. Um, but also because it hammers home again this idea that not everyone who's in the party gets to be there.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the um, this this tool, Notion, which yep. was not designed to be... Uh, for Dungeon Masters, but you've made it work. Is there a a, a way that you can keep track of like s- stats, like monster stats, or have you? Have you? Uh, yeah, you absolutely. I stuff?
2: mean, yeah. if it's a if it, well, if it's a if it's a creature in one of the monster books, then I, what I actually do is either I save a link to DD Beyond or wherever I'm going to reference it from, okay. or I make a note to myself if it's on this page. Um, if it's a, another creature, like it's a fan brew, homebrew one, or one that I'm modifying, mm-hmm. then I'll copy and paste stuff in and just making notes of here's the hit points. Um, I have a very rudimentary combat tracker that I build in there, um, which is, again, a simplified table. It brings in the characters. I put in initiatives for my monsters. I put in initiatives, hit points, and armor class. Um, but it's very str- rudimentary. It's purely for my reference, and um, it, it works. But the answer is yes, but it's not like a robust tool.
1: Okay. Yeah, as long as you it's just for your tracking and ease yeah. of of reference.
2: But if monsters were a big thing you wanted to do, again, you can make a template that has all of the base fields you want to fill out as a page, save it as a template, and then you can just easily create a new template and fill it in with each new monster that you want to track in your database.
1: This is super cool. Yeah. So it seems like it's very modular that like you can
2: extremely just modular make, and flexible. Um I have not yet run across something that I've wanted to do for the purposes of tracking my world that it's not able to do. It's been able to do every single thing I've wanted. Um, I can save images. I can. I, I actually, my group records our sessions not for publication, but again for my need for be able to reference things. I can go back and listen to the old sessions. Oh, cool! And I I store all of the audio files in the it, along with the session notes, things like that. So it's all up there.
1: Okay. So do you think maybe one day you would publish any of this content? This world sounds pretty cool.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure as, as most DMs who do world building, I've got an idea for a story to tell um, that could be a, a novel or whatever. If Wizards ever wants to do a supplementary novel, I'd be more than happy to, to publish her supplementary book. I'd be more than happy to put it out. Um, but I, I don't have any plans for it right now. It's, it's definitely just me- meant for my use right now.
1: Well, we know that you're capable of writing a novel in a month because you well, did it.
2: The question is, if it's a good <laughs> novel. I, I wrote fifty thousand words in a month. Yeah, the, there's, there's, it to there's the more work to it than that.
1: Well, I know, uh, I know, happen to know the editor for uh, Dragon Plus. So, if you're ever interested <laughs> in like a short story or something, you might I'll be able facilitate an introduction.
2: The short story is tough because, like I said, I, I only gave you sort of the the very, very high level about setting up yeah. the world. And to understand the world, you have to under you have to understand a fair bit of the cosmology, cosm- yeah cosmology.
1: Yeah, that um, would be that's a challenge for I imagine a lot of dungeon masters. Yeah, just hone in on one section, and still have enough of the backstory to understand what's happening in the world. Right. Yeah, um, this is very exciting, and uh, it's it sounds very inspiring and cool. Yeah. So, uh, I hopefully there's some dungeon masters out there that are going to be able to. Or even players, I guess. There's no reason why a player couldn't also keep track of. No, like a, I said, my players char-
2: love having access to it for their character information, and and I as a player, I have a section that's like, okay, here are all the different games I play in. Here's my character. Here's my the backstory. Here's you know my my game notes. I have that all in there, just not part of the the world building section. So it's a it's a I, I think it's a super useful tool in D and D and out of D and D. So I highly recommend it.
1: Awesome. Okay. And again, that is, it's called Notion.
2: Notion. You go to Notion.so is their website. And I think it's Notion HQ on Twitter. Um, but it's its a really cool tool. It's got a free user tier that should be enough for most people. Okay. Um, only if you need access, like I said, as a company, or you want to upload large files, essentially is where the, the limits hit for a free user, I think.
1: All right, that sounds awesome. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I happen to know how busy you are because we work <laughs> together. Yeah. Um, but if people want to uh, follow you or learn more about you, is can they can they do that? And would you? Yes, absolutely. All right.
2: uh, I have uh, two Twitter, Twitter handles: one for Magic and D and D, and then one for everything else. So Trick MTG uh, for Magic the Gathering, because that's what I was. Pre- originally hired to wizards to work on and do stuff for. So trick MTG is my Twitter handle for gaming for magic D and D trick. Jarrett uh, two R's two T's in the last name is my everything else. Tech politics, sports, lots of soccer, uh, things like that. Uh, I have trick Jarrett.com though. I, again, I don't write too much on there these days, um, but yeah, that's, those are the main places you can find me.
1: That sounds awesome. All right. Well, follow trick cause he's awesome. And, uh, that's cool. Anyway, thank you so much for being here again, and uh, we will we'll we'll talk soon. I know. Thank we will. you.
2: I'm sure we'll talk. We we'll probably have a meeting later <laughs>
1: probably. on. Probably. I'm probably <laughs> late for it right now. <laughs> Thanks, Trick.
2: Thank you.
0: What a wonder of information from Mr. Trick Jarrett. Uh, yeah. I love. I love that he is a uh, D&D DM and and player. Uh, I've known Trick for a long time, but we met in a different setting uh, when he was a magic blogger, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, And we worked together uh, at my former job. uh, And then we met here. How funny is that? I know. No,
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. You mean he
1: was a magic blogger before he worked at Wizards?
0: That's right. Yeah, and I oh, hired wow. him to write an article about magic uh, when I was at the Escapist, and uh, then the, we we crossed paths he, a couple of times while we I was a game journal still, and then yeah, we we've been working together a lot over the last uh, couple of years. So it's what a cool story. Remember huh?
1: when we were on a panel together before we worked together? I do.
0: Yeah, with oh, uh, Ethan so Gildsdorf uh, at yeah. Pax East, I think right.
1: It was. Yes, it was.
0: Yeah, Aww. and then that is where our uh, uh, time on the mic began together. It
1: is. Who who would have known that moment that someday we would be writing a book together?
0: About talking together, I know. About
1: being on the mic together. It's great.
0: Um, yeah. uh, You know, and it's so funny how little events like that will, uh, you know, spark collaborations. And uh, I I have to say... That is uh, evidenced by the interview uh, with Transplaner oh. RPG on how they got together. Uh, a little bit of artifice, mm-hmm. they got together, and, uh, you know, they connected, and who knows, they're, they've they got so many great plans for the future.
1: Yep, it was meant to be with
0: this group, for sure. Well, let's uh, take a listen to all of this joy on display. Welcome Transplaner RPG 2 Dragon Talk. Thank you for being here. Yay! Hey. Hey. Oh, we got the whole
1: crew here. Yay! This is, very this is exciting. actually the most people I've been around since March. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen this many faces together and it feels wonderful. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us.
0: That's very exciting. Yeah, and I think this is the most guests we've had on in one interview segment.
1: Yeah. Five
0: of you. Very exciting. All seven of us chatting together. That's what D&D is all about, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, pull so two extra
4: seats at the table. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Just pull up a chair. Uh, everyone is welcome. Uh, so I, the first question I want to get to is, uh, what is Transplaner RPG all about? And C, why don't you lead us off? Tell the audience, uh, what is this property? Sure,
4: I can start. Uh, this is really Connie's field, but I'll, I'll give it my best. Uh, Transgender RPG uh, is an all-transgender, uh, person-of-color-led, 100% homebrew, D&D 5th edition uh, actual play, live stream. Uh, we stream our main campaigns, which are set in a non-colonial, anti-Orientalist world, uh, every Saturday at 3 p.m. on our Twitch channel. Uh, we have some other uh, peripheral streams that we do throughout the week. Uh, But mostly we are focused on uh, kind of an all-trans world, again, led by our wonderful DM Connie, uh, and um, really focusing on the non-colonial, anti-Orientalist, like, trans perspectives of fantasy. Yeah.
0: I think you did a wonderful job. That's perfect. (laughs) That's really perfect. (laughs) I apologize. I the, the labels on our frames are <laughs> opposite. The reverse. Uh, ah, totally so that's yeah, why yeah. I, I screwed up there. So apologies. <laughs> no worries. Uh, thank you for taking it, though. You did a great job. I, I don't yep.
3: know.
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so the first exposure to D&D is always a good question to, to kind of start off with because so many of the people we talk to uh, on Dragon Talk uh, either have come in, you know, really early in their uh, lives and careers in the 70s and 80s and they trace through that or they're brand new. And it's very exciting to kind of fear, hear or, you know, why or how uh, that first experience meant something to them. Uh, and so, uh, Connie, why don't, you, why don't you talk about um, the, you know, your ex- first exper- uh, experience playing Dungeons and & Dragons and then the, you know, the groups as a whole?
5: Yeah, totally. Uh, So my first experience, my first exposure to D&D, winter of 2015. uh, This was the year I entered undergrad. um, And I was like, you know what? I'm already a geek. I already do improv. (laughs) Uh, So might as well, like, check out this cool thing that so many of my friends seem to be into. I was introduced to it through... um, Classic uh, The Adventure Zone uh, by the McElroy brothers. And I was listening to the podcast. I was like, this sounds awesome. I want to do it. I don't want to just listen to it. So I got a couple of friends from back home in Boston. You know, we got around a table, did sort of like a New Year's Eve DD, first time ever like playing it, first time ever GMing it for myself. Um, And it was chaotic and a mess, and it was so much fun. Uh, And I basically got hooked on to not just DD, but like tabletop games in general after that and went back to college. I was like, hey, let's get like a College gang together, Um, and I guess that's actually a good segue into C's uh, first experience with D and D. Yeah, Uh surprise,
4: Uh, Connie was my first GM uh, with D and D. Kind of roped me in uh, mostly because I had a crush on them. (laughs) 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 To be totally honest. Uh, But then we started playing and I was like, oh, wait, hold on. This is really like as a creative person myself and as uh, uh, somebody who likes to tell stories and collaborate, I was like, "Okay, wait, this is actually really fun. Um, So that was really my first exposure to D&D was playing a game in college with Connie. Mm -hmm.
3: That's
0: Mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, winter of 2015. That's when I started at Wizards. So another auspicious oh, time period as well. Wow, a
5: serendipitous!
4: It's also the stars
0: were aligning. I know, and, mm-hmm. and not. I mean, not that I'm, my, my star is, is any where near, but Critical Role also began streaming uh, that same time period. Wow, uh, oh, so. very
5: auspicious. Yeah. Very, very auspicious. Strange. Definitely a good year because I think. Um, when does Fifth Edition come out?
0: Um, 14,
5: 2014. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So like a year after the newest. Very uh, but uh, I know other people it, on our team have different uh interactions yeah. with my yeah computers. let's
0: go let's go around i i love i love hearing the origin stories max why don't we start with uh or you know go next with you I, well how did how did you first play uh d and d and roll some dice
1: uh I was in high school,
6: i believe um like my sophomore year or something, a couple of our nerd friends it was also like the theater improv kids right uh, <laughs> that's us too uh, <laughs> gathered in someone's basement. You know for like six hours on end um it was a complete mess because none of us had ever played or d- dm'd before um and we
1: never finished the campaign but it was good fun
0: That's six hours is, is, uh, trial by by fire there
1: i yeah. i actually like that it was like in the basement too yeah <laughs> Some were there, were there Doritos involved as well? Yeah, all <laughs> sorts of
6: snacks.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> Gotta have the snacks. Gotta have the snacks.
0: What was your first mm-hmm. character, Max? Do you remember?
1: Um, I think I played a
6: elven ranger um, yes. who I didn't realize that there was like a musician, but I call them like basically like Pharrell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had a big
6: floppy uh, hat. What,
1: yeah, did they wear a hat?
6: Big <laughs> hood, but like close <laughs> enough.
0: Farel
1: of the Elven that <laughs> <laughs> Add a few more consonants, some apostrophes.
0: Uh, yeah. Op- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: That's
0: Erica, awesome. what, what was your first experience playing D&D?
3: Yeah, I thought I was actually cursed to never play D&D for a long time. Oh. I tried for like 10 years to play D&D with some friends. And every time either like a group would try to come together, it would fall apart before it even began. Or like someone would invite me to a group and then it would fall apart before I could ever roll a single die with them. So I thought for a long time I was never going to play D&D. But then uh, <laughs> C and Connie moved to the Twin Cities a couple of years ago. I've known C for even longer than that. And then they invited me to a game that started... Um, them, my roommates, some other people in the theater group that I'm part of and I got to play Maxima a paladin tiefling with an oath of vengeance who had a tragic lesbian love story who was avenging the love she lost
1: Oh, that's awesome so okay. I was
3: real dramatic from the get go <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Was it? And I, I, I'm sold. Would now, ten years of of this curse was finally broken. Was it everything you hoped for? Or I mean, I hoped. I hope you weren't like I waited ten years for this.
3: Oh no, no, no! It was, it was almost immediately just like, oh my god, how have I not been doing this? I'm a. I've been a theater artist since I was like 16 years old. So it was like finally, like I get to just like play this game and just act and create stories, improv with my friends and just laugh and cry and all of the emotions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do That's you all funny. have a... Well, look, Devin, let's let's hear your origin story.
7: Uh, yeah, so I have a, a relatively long and kind of complicated history with D&D and role-playing games in general, but I'll try to be as abbreviated as I can. Uh, I started playing D&D... Oh God, what was it? Middle school? Maybe early high school. Uh, yeah, it was early high school. Um, I started off with fourth edition, which, oof. Uh, (laughs) 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 no, it was, it was a fine system. It was a fine system. Um, totally valid, uh, emotional response. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we, same as Max, we gathered in my friend's basement. We ordered pizza. I played, I was the edgy teen. So I played this like. (laughs) shadow drow rogue thing with amnesia or something. I don't know. I don't even remember. We had like a dream sequence where we fought Jar Jar Binks on an ATAT. Uh, at okay. This
5: news to me definitely was <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: um, but But... Uh, Did you defeat or, Jar Jar? <laughs> we, we broke the dream. It was sort of like a Matrix thing. So we didn't have all the players uh, and we were just... Doing a little one-shot thing, it was so weird. Uh, But yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, And since then, I've been playing a lot of D anD D and a lot of other role-playing games. And uh, I've been going to and working at a Japanese language village where we sort of role-play almost twenty-four hours a day, where we immerse ourselves in language and culture. Um, and through role play, learn language and learn skills. And so, uh, my skills from from D and D in role playing and improvisation go to there, and uh, the skills I learned from there in learning skills and exploring different parts of life through role play come back to D and D and come back to other role playing games. Uh, and so, while my first exposure to D and D was probably freshman year of high school for, for fourth edition in that basement with pizza. Uh my first real role-playing experience and probably D D experience, uh was later in high school after I came back from my first year of that of that camp. Uh we played fifth edition with uh I was in a band briefly and his the lead member's wife invited me to play D D. And we were in the basement of a game store. Um and I played a tiefling monk, and that was like the first time that I had like a consistent schedule. And we played for probably months before the GM gave up. Um, <laughs> so,
0: wow! I love all of the stuff about trying to learn language and new skills <laughs> through uh, role play and, and Dungeons and Dragons. That's that's mm-hmm. fascinating. I want to I want to get back to that in a second, but I also want to. Uh, Um, shout out Erica's story of you know having that fits and starts of of as you were describing it that sounded very similar to to my uh upbringing I had a a very strong religious background so there was always a little bit of a resistance from my elders on playing Dungeons and Dragons so I I I didn't get into it as a kid uh and it wasn't until uh with lots of fits and starts as I was I was maturing in 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 high school and college but nothing ever solidified and I I felt the same as you. I was like am I ever going to do this until it was uh you know living on my own in New York City, uh being a theater professional and and then being married and then just being like all right, my la- no one's telling me I can't play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. <laughs> now I can do it. And and then I found people and and we found a common ground and we got to tell some awesome stories together. So it's uh perseverance can sometimes be a a really good quality for for early D&D players.
1: Yeah you gotta you just gotta wait for that right group. and it, it kind of mm-hmm. sounds like like you did, but I mean, so Erica, we know how you uh, your connection to C and we know C's connection to Connie, but how did the rest of you come together and form a group? Devin, do you want to answer that?
7: Yeah. so uh, again, we, we heard how C and Eric and Connie came together. Uh, Connie envisioned Transplanter RPG as originally a podcast uh, that they would edit. Uh, and so what has it been over a year now? It was probably, what year was that? 2019? Probably November yeah, of 2019.
3: November
7: 2019. Yep. Uh, uh when they started reaching right out. <laughs> I <know>. God, <laughs> it really is. Time is a dense fog. <laughs> Life is a rich tapestry. Oh um, <laughs> uh, Sorry. but they, they reached out to, uh, what was it queer MPLS, the Facebook group or something? Mm-hmm. And they were like, Hey, I'm looking to start this uh, podcast for all trans people. Uh, if you're interested, uh, I don't know, send me an email or message or whatever. And I was, and I had just got back from my second year of college without, with no plans to go back, um, back to the cities. And I was planning, I really wanted to get involved with the community. So I was like, You know what? I'll take anything I can get. So I reached out. Uh, one thing leads to another. And I'm in, Connie's apartment with some other people I don't know, uh, eating pizza and playing D&D. Um, and, Ma- and Max, I think this same thing happened to you, except with another group. I think they did this twice. Uh, and I don't mean to brag, but we were sort of hand-chosen from the- <laughs> Ooh, <no. laughs> uh, to be part you of brag. their uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, and so we were in inducted into the group
5: yeah the original process i don't want to call it an audition because <laughs> that's, that's definitely not how i was approaching it but i had wanted for a while to start what i thought was initially a dnd podcast now stream um inspired by such you know uh, a media as like as i mentioned earlier the adventure zone and you know after c and i moved to minneapolis i was like i think i want to try to get a group of people together but it's just me and you that i know and Erica from the other group who I really, really like, but I was like, well, I don't, so this was like another thing. I didn't want it to be just like me and like four white people, you know, like at the table. And I was like, you know, this is has always been important to me, like having, you know, playing with a diverse group and, um, listening to perspectives that aren't my own. Uh, so I put out like a uh, invitation to GM one-shots uh, in this queer Minneapolis Facebook group. And I got so many responses because no one wants a GM. So if you offer to GM a one-shot, which is a low commitment um, for free, you know, just be like, let's all pitch in for pizza and you have a place I can do it. People are gonna flock. People are gonna show up. I mean, this was before pandemic, before any of that. Um, and I did two one-shots. One of them had Devin at the table and one of them had Max. And then I, like, talked about, like, I was, like, also, like, gauging folks as, like, you know, like, how well do we mesh, you know, as players, as, like, a GM, you know, like, what's, like, the the role play interest here? Like, also, like, um, are you a person of color? Like, what's your background like? What's your cultural perspective? Um, and I invited Max and Devin uh, to be a part of uh, what is now Transplanar RPG uh, after, like, sort of getting a feel for them, like, snipping them out, like, to make sure they're not, like, you know, um, to make sure we would like vibe together because that's also important for me. Like for oh, our, yeah, uh, for a table for, to function.
0: Yeah, any group for sure. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I love I love how uh, that assembled. You know, it's a, it's the the nice confluence of like online communities mm-hmm. and tools, and then you know meeting up in person and having that. That uh, uh, that pizza connection is always vitally important.
1: I know. I've been <laughs> noticing. I noticed the thread of of pizza. Yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, we've 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 talked around the fact that there's a pandemic going on, and there is uh, a a need for this sense of community. And We've seen it, uh, you know, from all over people playing Dungeons and Dragons. But it it is vitally important to to trans people uh, right now to have a. a, a a space that's not only really safe but able to you know kind of ex- express yourself so Max why, mm-hmm. why why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and why uh, it's important and and what have you gained from from being able to hang out and play D and d together
6: yeah uh, it's it's hard to find community um, especially like even when we're not in a pandemic um, <laughs> things I'm learning about adult life is that <laughs> you got to go out and like find people on your own mm-hmm. they're not going to come to you uh, well Connie did come to me but um, <laughs> Yeah. So like since the pandemic, this has been the community that like um, I've interacted with the most. Um, The five of us and also like our discord server of people who like listen to our content Um, and finding like a good chunk of my friends in real life are trans, but it is hard to find other trans people um, off of the internet. I feel like a lot of communities are a lot of trans communities are on the, inter- the internet. And it's really important for like me specifically, uh, but like trans people in general as well, to be able to like share things that are important to them um, with people who understand what it's like. Like, um, like I started uh, hormone replacement therapy and that's something that trans people <laughs> are uniquely excited about, I feel like. Um, I'm not going to talk about that with, like, I don't know, like, just people I meet um, in my day-to-day life. But it's really nice to be able to come here and be excited about it and have people who are also excited about it with me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I've been consuming a lot more entertainment media uh, now that I have time at home. Um, And it's so important to have, like, representative media. Um, And to be able to create that is
0: an honor and a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. We've heard from a lot of, uh, guests on, on Dragon Talk in the past, as well as, you know, people we, we've met in the community about how D&D specifically can be very, uh, enlightening and or supportive for, for, for trans people. Have you found that Max is, you know, not only, you know, the people around you, but just being able to embody the character that you choose, uh, while you're playing. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that if you can.
6: For sure. Uh, like, like Devin said, like role play, I think it's so important to discovering who you are and especially for trans folks. Um, I hear a lot that people are like, oh, yeah, my first D&D character was uh, not the gender or like a uh, gender that I wasn't assigned at birth. And they're like, why is that? And then I ended up coming out as trans. Um, yeah. So I think it's just really important to be able to explore that aspect of yourself and to be able to do so in, like, role-playing and fantasy. Um, it's kind of, like, like a low-risk environment mm-hmm. um, to try stuff
1: like that out. Yeah, That's great. Absolutely.
4: And I think it's especially important um, to be at, like, an all-trans table because, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, like, D&D and and role play in general, like, does allow us to have... Um, these these like uh, experiences where we can grow outside of ourselves and explore our own identities, uh, but there are also a lot of really troubling things written into the rules about bioessentialism and about who like what are the rules of the person you get to be, uh, and a lot of like you know the culture of D and D has very often been dominated by like white cis men. Uh, And, like, finding a table where not only can you be trans, but you can also, like, move beyond the really racist trope of orcs are evil, you know, like, that is, like, another, I think, really important part of what it means to, like, be at this specific table.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, there's so much to be, I mean, it's something I I say often, but especially true uh, with this group is that you have the ability to have empathy with each other, and and it's very important. And you guys, I can see it already in how you interact with each other uh, here in this Zoom. Uh, but you know, it's not it's not like D and D is just for that. I think that is actual very very truthful. Oh, hello, Kitty. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think I think cis people can also find that as well, and and uh, I'm I'm hoping that by uh, you know. Showing the wide breadth of humanity uh that is out there in, in in all of us uh that you know a little bit of of, of empathy is is distributed and shown through uh through d and d play and so uh i think i think you're doing a really great job of of, of highlighting that by by getting together and, and and centering the stories of
7: uh of trans people mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it's not just uh like identity and transness and gender and all that kind of stuff, role play is like we mentioned before a, a nice safe space removed from the real world where you can try out anything you want. Whether that's playing as an, uh, a gender that you didn't at that point identify as, or whether it be like, okay, you're a very shy person, but you want to be more assertive, so you play like a more assertive character, uh, and you can explore the traits that you want to see in yourself through your character, uh, and I know in personal experience and also studies have shown uh, by one of my mutuals actually that the more you role play as a character that has certain traits, the more you will start to adopt those traits in real life. Mm. Uh, so like I said, I was the edgy teen, I was shy, I was introverted, all that kind of stuff. And then I played characters like Manaya and characters like a <coughs> uh, a big burly dragonborn who takes the lead on things. Uh, and since then, I've grown into a person who can be more assertive and be able to speak out on a lot more things. Um, and so, I know. yes, it is important as a trans person to be able to explore and express myself the way I want to be seen. Uh, but it is also important as a person to be able to see the things I don't like about myself or things I want to improve on and be able to explore that and try things out in a nice, safe, removed place from the real world.
1: Yeah. And yeah. we know that a lot of therapists use D&D in their mm-hmm. practice. And mm-hmm. now saying that, I wonder if that is um, like part of, of the therapy. Like, like you're saying, like the more you role play certain character traits, the more you adapt them. If that's like a way for people to kind of break problematic behavior or or things that they're just trying to improve upon. I wonder if that's how
7: being used 100% uh, and we'll talk about this later but we had a fundraiser for tigers uh, and Ben the, pe- the person that we uh, were talking to is part of a group that uses role play in D&D to, uh, for therapy um, for things like like what you were saying as well as things like exposure therapy uh, mm-hmm. in cases where that is used um, to just again provide a safe space where those topics can be approached and at any point, you can put down the pencil and walk away from it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well. That's, yeah, I love this. I'd, um, we're, yes, we're probably on in the same train of thought, Greg. You go.
0: Oh, I, 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 maybe not, because I was I, when you said that people exhibit the behaviors that they role play. You know, and it, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was thinking of a comment a friend of mine made about <laughs> actors who always play bad guys, and. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, after a while, you kind of have to just listen to the casting director knows they're just bad people and that they just do that well because of that. And I was like, oh, gosh, I was
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: started me thinking about, you know, D&D and how, you know, people some people really love to play evil characters. And maybe mm-hmm. that's a self-fulfilling thing. And uh, uh, yeah, there's a more more expert people of psychologists will be able to, to delve into that a little bit more. But it it got my my wheels turning.
5: Mm -hmm. For sure. I like to think that games, I think the topic of empathy is a really big one when it comes to games like, oh, you can embody someone that you're not used to embodying and learn, you know, but I, I think that a game is, you know, most useful for learning things about yourself, whether it is your ideal self, whether it is like some aspect of yourself that was hidden to you before, how you handle conflict, how you handle conflict within fantasy, um, And yeah, like, I think, you know, especially the question of empathy right now is such a hot one when people are talking about, like, who's allowed to play whom, you know, who's allowed to embody what kinds of characters, what kinds of stories, do stories belong to certain groups, certain cultures, stuff like that. And, you know, sort of where I stand with that is, again, this idea that a game, play, can definitely be a vehicle to learn about others, sure, but, like, I think most powerfully it can teach you things about yourself, your own approach to memory, and your own approach to conflict, um, as well as your personality, and how you perceive yourself.
1: Yeah, I think I remember, I don't remember that much about college because it was like 197 years ago. (laughs) Um, But I did take a psychology class and I remember hearing that like the person you are in traffic is like who you really are.
5: Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I got road rage. <laughs>
1: Ew. Ew. Like I just like normally this. And then I'm like, spin up your life. Like I will uh, yes. So that that always like I always think of that like, gosh, that's really who I am. But you know <laughs> what? I think you're right. I think when you're playing games, that is actually who you truly are. Like you, you know, I know that like some of the really nice, calm, nice, mellow, wonderful people that when you play a game with them, you're like, oh, really? Interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. I did not know that I'm I'm learning a lot about you right now just by your simple actions here.
3: That's definitely something with uh, my character, V. Noxherzo in Transplaner. Um, She's a sorcerer who I play like a rogue. Uh, She will leap before she looks. There's many a time in gameplay where I just commit to doing something, having no idea how I'm going to solve the problem I just put myself into. And by playing this character for like six months now, I actually find like V will try to sweet talk anybody and everyone. And I have found myself actually standing up for myself in conversations with others now Mm -hmm. in ways I never did before. I would be willing to jump into something, a conversation that's maybe difficult and vulnerable and knowing that I can somehow work my way through it. And in that way, even though V is morally ambiguous, uh, sometimes even maybe not so ambiguous, uh, I find myself using some of those traits in ways that, uh, you know, I did not exhibit before I started playing her as a character.
1: Proof of concept right
5: there. Just don't be her too closely or else you'll end up being the false prophet of a cult. <laughs>
3: <Erica>. <laughs> that's what happens, that's what happens.
0: Well, yeah. that's a that's a great segue into Erica telling us a little bit more about what makes uh, not just all these themes that we're talking about, but the 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 story and the lore of of Transplantor RPG. What what kind of sets apart what is uh, what 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 you guys are playing from other you know all the myriad of other stuff that's out there,
3: right? Like it's so easy to just point to like we're all queer, all trans, person to color led, but like. It's so much more than just our identities, but our identities have definitely influenced the diversity of our identities have influenced the kind of story we wanted to tell from the very beginning. Um, we wanted to tell a story that was free from sort of this colonialist approach that D&D usually inherently has of like, we're going to be a bunch of conquerors where we find, you know, maybe we hear about a treasure and we go conquering, we took conquer dungeons so on and so forth. And we're like, you know what? Let's not go there. So uh, we wanted a campaign free from that and sort of like the standard European medieval fantasy tropes. So a lot of our influences come from, you know, Asian cultures, Polynesian. um, There's some little bit of flavors of some African culture, from what I understand, from the creation of the world. And Connie did such a fantastic job of writing a massive introduction to the world that we play in called Endake. And in it is each sort of country of this world and sort of the flavors of it. And it's just unbelievable the amount of world building that they did. Um, Connie uh, is an amazing writer. They uh, and they also have a huge love and, and interest in cinema. And because of that... Their GM style is so cinematic. You know, we're not afraid to throw away mechanics if they get in the way of telling a really amazing story. You know, there's been moments in Transplanar so far in our, what, 16, 17 episodes at this point where there's just... The words tell an amazing story, both from Connie and then the players. I think Connie's commitment to, to storytelling and narration has inspired the players to step up our game. And you know, all of the players here have some type of performance background, whether that's a musician, an actor, dancer, writer, poets. We all bring that to the table. And so we end up, you know, without even having to say much between each other, uh, we're able to just go into sessions, campaign sessions. And, and I know for my, as an example for myself, I know my character and what she wants. And so when Connie puts me into a position uh, that without talking to Connie about it beforehand, I'm going to make some big, bold choices. And I know I have enough trust in Connie that they are going to bring it right back. And it's, their experience in improv and my experience in improv like play off of each other so that we're just going to yes and each other, yes and each other. (laughs) And um, it makes for a really amazing storytelling that uh, I don't see often from other campaigns and the mechanics also, you know, we're not, like I was saying, we're not afraid to throw away some, some of those mechanics. I know Connie is going to talk more about the homebrewed aspect because they have done so much work in that. But, um, you know, we, we, I think the other important thing is also that we are becoming like a beacon. And for me, this is important as a trans person. Uh, We're using this as a story to be a beacon for other trans folks who are looking for community. And they're finding themselves in the stories that we're telling. And that for me, like, just gets my heart flowing so, so much that there's a lot of love in this campaign. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of us being super, super passionate about what we're telling and just having fun with each other too. Like our production meetings or our campaign sessions are just fun. And I, and I think it's palpable that love for each other as well. Yeah.
1: I have, th- watching all of your faces as Erica is talking about your campaign and like, you're all beaming, like you're all just like, okay. I mean, like, and then I was thinking that I'm like, well, wow, there is a lot of love. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot, you know, of, of tight bonds here with this group, just hearing you talk about it. But then, and then you even, you know, you you have said that, but just seeing your faces come alive. It's really, that's really, really sweet. And you, you've talked about, uh, touched on something and Max, you touched on this too, that I really want to dive into a little bit more is like this. Um, representation and community and how it's really, really important for people to be able to either see themselves in the game, in the products that we make, but also in the people who are playing them. And, and um, I wanted to know if you, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of um, the ways that you build that community or some of the initiatives that um, you put forth and maybe see you can you can start us off on that.
4: Absolutely. I mean, I totally want to just like really mirror what Erica said too, just like touch on the, you know, like campaign for just a moment about like, unlike I think a lot of like D&D games or streams, like this isn't about our characters becoming heroes or the most powerful. This is a story about how our characters like come to be a family and like come to love each other.
1: And your cat too. The cat, and is also cat, part yeah. of the and cat. Yeah. <laughs> I have a cat spotted alert on stream. <laughs>
5: yeah. he loves to beat
1: the of We love yeah. cat. Cats love Dragon Talk too. So yeah. she's she's welcome to be here.
4: Yeah, but in terms of uh, you know the community initiatives, just again like just seeing your like being able to see yourself. Uh, not just represent, not just the representation of your most tragic stories. You know, because we're all trans. All of the characters in Andake are, you know, like somewhat canonically trans as well. There goes the cat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just let him go by. Uh, but it's also about, uh, you know, again, like representing ourselves with love. Uh, and uh, so we've had like some really amazing like community responses. Uh, specifically, we recently just got a, a grant from Springboard from the Arts. Uh, which is an amazing uh, Minnesota based It's for uh, a project called artists respond combating social isolation. So like, again, like a lot of what we've been talking about, yeah. uh, which was an invitation from springboard for the arts, Minnesota uh, for Minnesota artists to like create small projects uh, that create moments of joy, solace, solidarity, and sharing and a sense of connection and, um, to those who are feeling the most isolated. So again, kind of like what Max was saying, like our our trans community is, you know, already so isolated. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have like community members from literally all over the world that like tune into our streams every week because they're like, I'm trans, you're trans, and I see your story and I love it, which, you know, feels really amazing. And we use that grant to actually feature um, Critical Bard and uh, Gabe James Games, in uh, like a special between arc one and arc two, like interlude episode, and we just had so much fun. Those folks are just they were stellar, one hundred percent, like pillars of the community, really. So just a dream to get to play with them, and that was just so fun. And uh, kind of as Devin um, mentioned earlier, we our Hall- we did like a Halloween special stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, we raised uh, five hundred dollars for Tigers MN, which is not they're just not like a Tigers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, this is what it's called. Uh, Tigers is a really amazing twin city, like again, twin cities based uh, organization that supports trans intersex and gender expansive adults and youth. Um, so it's like a, a pretty like small community organization here in MN, but uh, their programming is, you know, focused on, again, trans intersex and gender expansive youth specifically. So uh, it was amazing to like raise that, like our community just came together so hard to like raise that money for them. And, you know, again, like our Discord server and our like peripheral streams kind of serve to like keep our connection with our, you know,
5: followers going,
4: which has been really great.
5: Totally. And interfacing with Ben, who was the rep from Tigers that we spoke to basically like the, the money that we raised for them was able to sustain their programming for like, like multiple weeks, I think, like several weeks onward. And uh, pre-pandemic, there was sort of like a physical like brick-and-mortar sort of space for trans youth and adults to mingle. And now that everything's been shut down, it's been kind of difficult for them to keep going. Uh, So it was really important for us to support an organization, first of all, in our home, the Twin Cities, um, but also that is related to what we care about, which are uh, trans, intersex, and gender-expensive issues.
0: That's great. Uh, I'm so glad you explained what Tiger was because I think when Devin first mentioned it, I was like, does this have to do with the Tiger King? What's happening? I know,
1: (laughs) Cool cats and kitties, yeah.
0: Branding yeah. problem, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Netflix show ruined everything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's fantastic, and I think, uh, you know, being able to do that in an online setting is super important right now, and uh, raising that, those funds to be able to keep that going is fantastic. So, uh, good job, uh, and and awesome uh, having. Uh, Gabe James Games and Critical Bard uh, join is always fantastic because oh, they're awesome. They light up every room mm-hmm. online or yeah. otherwise that they're in, and so uh, that's amazing. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit, uh, Connie. Maybe you can start us off, but I'd love to hear from everyone uh, because it's something that I've been struggling with uh, in trying to create a homebrew campaign that doesn't fall into all of the colonialism tropes uh, uh, and. I don't know if I'm succeeding, <laughs> uh, and I'd love any advice on how to, you know, have the idea of uh, adventurers going to a new land, but not have it fall under the same, you know, uh, problematic things of conquistadors and all the terribleness mm-hmm. that that has occurred in, in, in our in our actual history. So, h- how did you move away from from those tropes and and present stories that? Uh, you know, show, showed those ideals in a, in a, in a positive light.
5: Totally. Uh, so basically starting from session negative one, uh, I got a wish list together for my players of the kind of world they were interested in and the sorts, kinds of stories they were interested in telling. And one of the most important things that everyone echoed uh, was a world that wasn't just, like, Western European, sort of, like, based off of, like, medieval Germany, England, et cetera. Um, because there's just, like, a lot of those out there, and they, they could be fine, but that's not really the kinds of stories we were interested in telling. So my first step was to do just, like, a metric crap load of research. I just did so much research. I was, like, doing research, research, research into, like, the medieval cultures of, like— all sorts of you know heritages heritages across the world, my own, like Chinese culture, Japanese culture, Korean culture, in medieval Indian cultures, you know, Polynesian, specifically Hawaiian cultures, um, like indigenous Native American. You know, and I was like, there's so much stuff out there. I feel like I need to narrow the scope a bit because I don't want to go the other end of the spectrum and create a smorgasbord uh, of, like, Orientalist tropes, you know, and be like, this is the world we're playing in, you know, but have it just, you know, be problematic in a different direction. Um, So I came up with Andake, which is, of course, the name of the realm uh, that we're playing in. uh, And the notable feature about Andake is that there are eight gods, a shared pantheon across the land, and eight uh, powers, or eight countries, rather, uh, provinces, something like that. Um, And each of the eight... Provinces, countries are based off a different sort of real world culture in a different moment of time uh, for that culture. So it's not just like, this is the China place, you know, <laughs> but like, Oh, I'm interested in like three kingdoms, like warring you know, romance of the three, three kingdoms era, medieval, like dynastic China, and like to draw upon influences from that particular period. Um, so we have like a, a country based off of um, medieval China. We have a country based off of like aspects of medieval India. We have a country based off of like, Uh, folkloric, like, Russian (laughs) tales and stories. Uh, One also based off of, like, uh, uh, you know, Japanese cultures. Um, And my uh, sort of go-to method as a GM to sort of help keep me sane and keep everything, like, contained is to I'll write out, like, the broad strokes, right? I'll do, like, a good amount of research when I'm just writing that setting document, that handout that I can give to my players so they can sort of pick where they're from and build their characters. Um, But then I start fleshing out the powers when they become relevant to the party, uh, because I'm a big proponent of prep only what you have to prep and don't make too much work for yourself as a GM, because that also shuts off uh, avenues of improv and creative collaboration. If you're so set on a specific image of your own world, right. I just, that's my own thought as a GM. Um, so outside of that, in terms of the kinds of stories we're telling not just the setting um, It was very important to me sort of as other folks have mentioned earlier that we don't just fall into the y'all are a band of adventuring parties go to this dungeon this quote unquote uncharted uncharted by whose standards right a dungeon kill all the goblins in there you know just kill them all get that treasure and like expand your kingdom's domain which I feel like is sort of like the classic. Classic DD sort of story uh, that doesn't really quite resonate with us anymore. Um, rather, in this world, the basic, the inciting incident, the premise uh, of our pilot episode is that everything's great, everything's totally fine. And then uh, the world ends, uh, the stars go out, the gods disappear. And in this new darkness, um, strange alien creatures, like aberrations, like Tentacle guys, you know, like shadowy hand creatures. So nothing that resembles a person at all that was important to me as well in terms of monster design, like slimes and plants, stuff like that, uh, which I feel like are pretty neutral (laughs) in terms of like the political scale, Um, start spawning and like attacking people. And these four strangers, my beautiful, wonderful players, are sort of forced together uh, through... Uh, coincidence and also fate, uh, band together to sort of protect the people they love, uh, the communities they love, and to help restore the world to its former balance. Um, So that's the kind of story we're doing. We just wrapped up arc one. Um, A lot of things are happening in game uh, and now we're excited to advance to arc two. But as part of the peripheral streams we've been doing, I just ended this series. It's on hiatus, I suppose. I might bring it back. um, Called Professor Charles Tabletop Workshop. uh, And to sort of like kick off, um, basically, just get a GM advice and like tips and tricks and whatever that I've I've picked up. throughout my many years as a, as a game master. Um, but to sort of kick off that programming, I did a five-part series called Ndake Understood where I talked about exactly this, like mm. my practices and my strategies for building worlds that are non-colonial and anti-Orientalist and also defining my terms. Um, I also like guested it on some folks' podcasts, including like uh, Beholder to No One, um, and a couple of characters with uh, uh, Alex uh, and Quinn. And it was, you know, just talking about my approach as well. Um, And, you know, the response from the community has been very positive and very encouraging uh, on that uh, front. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, to kind of like bounce off of what you're saying, Connie, Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, something that's really important to me about not falling into those tropes is that everyone in the world is a three-dimensional person. Right, there's no such thing as like a good person or an evil person. Even mm-hmm. our even our characters are complex in that way. We've kind of like thrown out the D and D like the alignment, the alignment system, system yeah. completely, uh, and that is important. Like also in terms of
5: bioessentialism, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've also let go of like ASIs are not assigned our, by race. We our, use like a different, uh, like someone else's. I think James Intracasso's uh, sort of homebrew like uh, racial. Uh, features, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, build, customizing. Builder, customizing D&D races, I think, in 5th yeah. edition. Yeah, where um, ASIs as well as like uh, feats uh, and aspects, uh, you can use like a point-by system instead of like assigning it, oh, you're a drow, you have dark vision. You know, like you could be like a human with dark vision and fire breath, you know, if you buy you know, the with, with the point-by system. Mm.
0: I love it. Go ahead, Erica.
3: Uh, we also did a thing where uh, Connie put like... Depending on which region your character might be from, um that will also assign you some you know uh, stat perks as well so you know, yes, it, it yes. was interesting to build from that aspect as opposed to I'm an elf, so obviously this is what I have like mm-hmm. throw out that out the window and and look for other things
4: yeah, yeah, and in that way, like we don't like the culture in Andaka is not that adventurers kill people, you know, like we've never fought against people in yeah. our campaign. Or even, what? like, humanoids in general. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not—we're fighting against these, like, aberrations that are completely alien and are, caught like, wreaking havoc on our, on our world, mm-hmm. you know? And that is
5: important, mm-hmm. I think, too. Mm-hmm. And if I were to run, like, a, a bandit attack or something, um, you know, it would be very clear that, you know, death and killing are not the only success states, you know, in that situation. And I'm sure that my players would not just immediately be like, bandits, let's kill them for XP, you know, (laughs) because we're not going for like a a granular XP system. It's milestone leveling for us as well, which gives us a little bit more um, wiggle room in terms of uh, what advancement looks like and what incentivizes my players. Uh, So it's not just like killing, but like uncovering
0: more aspects of the story. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I know there's a lot of fun homebrew mechanics, some of which we just talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but we haven't heard from, from from Max or Devin in a little bit. So, what are, what are some of the more favorite mechanics that Connie has introdu- introduced that you are yeah have been excited to explore and want to explore more in the future? Uh, maybe Devin, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah,
7: so we, Max, I'll leave you to the other one, but uh, the <laughs> the big ones are. Um, so 5th edition is a very beginner-friendly system compared to some of the other editions of D&D, uh, which is really nice, uh, but also is very limiting in what you can do just from the player's handbook or even from the expansions. And so Connie has been super, super cool in being able to homebrew an entire subclass just for C uh, to play that takes the bloodbender sort of trope and and plays with that. They're, they're a bloodhunter. Um and kind of like if you ever seen like Avatar the Last Airbender there's that whole like super creepy episode with H- Hama Was her name I don't remember um and like and and that's that's been super cool to see all the different abilities that they've come up with they have like a blade that can come out of their hand and all sorts of really cool stuff um and like the idea that being an Asamar like a, like a half angel or whatever isn't your race or your racial origin, it's a thing that happens to you, like lycanthropy. Like mm. um, and, uh, and like I've been working with Connie about some stuff uh, about warlocks and some potentials for abilities that my character might have. Uh, spoiler warning. Um, <laughs> um, and just really getting into our characters and seeing, okay, what do we want to do at... Instead of what does D and D allow us to do? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, the answer to that is the D allows you to do whatever you wish uh, in order to, <laughs> as, as, as as the DM, it permits uh, to to make it happen. And so, I'm glad that you guys are using all the tools and creating new tools uh, yeah. uh, to be able to to do all that. Uh, Max, what about you? What are some some fun uh, mechanics and or class abilities? Uh, have you been able to to have fun with?
6: Um, I really like Connie's uh, Homebrew um, Accelerated Combat System Ooh. because I, as a person, I'm all for efficiency. I can't help it. Uh, <laughs> and it also, uh, I'm playing an Artificer, which is a class that I haven't played before. So I'm not super um, great with all the like granular abilities that I'm able to use. Um, and so I really like being able to take this Accelerated Combat System and... Um, like rely less on my abilities and more of like what we as a party want to do. Um, do we want to spend the time to fight or like resolve this issue? Do we want to like it? <laughs> it's really nice for storytelling and it's um, it helps me because I may not know what I'm doing with my abilities all the time. <laughs> what
0: what is the accelerated like system? Can you can you give us that in a nutshell?
6: Yeah, uh, it's like. So instead of doing, like, turn-by-turn turn combat, it's more of, like, a um, we, we roll some dice and we tell Connie, like, what we were trying to do, and there's an opportunity for us to do something, like, inspired, like, um, the meat of our action, kind of. Um, and that resolves, like, small encounters, like, when we're traveling um, in a way that takes <laughs> less time and, um, yeah, less time than, like, a turn-by-turn turn, battle encounter would take. Um, I don't know if I missed anything,
5: Connie. That that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I developed it to sort of, like, do, re- replace how I run combat for random encounters on the road. Uh, so it's more three phases, three die, die rolls. We narrate together as a group, and then we decide what the outcome is uh, instead of having to roll initiative for, like, every, how uh, was it, tarasque <laughs> Like, every, uh, like like, bandit or, like, random rhino running through the desert, like, going at you, something like that.
0: That makes sense. I, I like how mm-hmm. you're taking a lot of um, cues from story games and things like that, and how to how to yes. you know create the storytelling without having to, yeah, as you said, just talk it to, take each turn and and, and and you know go by rules as written. Uh, and it paints a better picture, uh, I think, for the storytelling that you're trying to do. That's really cool. Absolutely.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, another mechanic I'm particularly fond of and excited about um, is the uh, relationship building <laughs> uh, mechanic that I think my players really enjoy as, as, as our resident role players. Um, I took a lot of inspiration from the StarCrossed RPG, uh, which uses a Jenga tower as its central, like, um, I suppose, Tool. like randomizer. Yeah. Um, and it's a situation where whenever there's an opportunity for a party to n- not have downtime, I suppose, uh, you can, ev- someone rolls a, D- rolls a D100 twice and there's like a prompt for a scene based on that. They pick a scene partner and they do it. Um, mm. And it ends when you think it ends. And the purpose of it is to sort of um, encourage more role playing and also like strengthen bonds uh, between the party. And also like, uh, yeah, get us more into the habit of, of improvising and, and collaborating creatively together.
1: That is cool. I love that.
0: It reminds me, I mean, it's definitely something I'm going to use because I my the group I'm playing with right now doesn't really role play. What? Yeah, and I'm always surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they're talking to each other. This is a rare occurrence. Uh, so I'd love to find new ways to encourage them to do that. But but when you were describing it, I'm like, oh, that's like a, a you know Baldur's Gate, uh, the video game. You're like, oh, I'm checking in with my party members, and I'm getting like you know a little dialogue tree. But it's doing that with uh, uh, you know a real live role player,
7: and what's that? That's what the game's all about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
7: yeah. It's it's very hard to put mechanics and stats and numbers. Onto role play situations. And so uh, I feel like a lot of groups can fall into D&D is just chess with more rules yeah. uh, idea uh, where you're worried about distances and how many spell slots I have and all this kind of and how much damage I'm doing. Um, but having a simple set of rules to guide how you roleplay and how you interact with each other... Um, as opposed to speaking out into the void and not saying anything back, uh, is really good as a catalyst to create interesting story. Setting aside the the granular rules uh, for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I what I I like about it is um, that you're forming those relationships between the players and the characters because a lot of times when that beca- that's like secondary or never even talked about. Like I've played in many different D D games where we're like, you're me and tavern let's go and i'm like i don't know any of these people i'm like how do I, did we go to school together did we grow up next to each other i want to know those relationships and you're you're putting that um, more emphasis on that and it's i think that's that's it's key to the story and, and how the party works together so, yeah good job good job connie <laughs>
0: so yeah professor what's, what's next for for transplaner what are you guys uh planning for for the future
5: Wow, that is a great question. So we we actually at the end of 2020 had our, uh, had a, a 2021 vision board uh, meeting where we basically nice. put out our hopes and dreams for this year, uh, goals we wanted to hit. Um, and me, I guess like, it, I would love to hear from everyone uh, on the Transplaner side, but me as a GM, uh, my goal, my number one priority is as always the campaign itself, making sure it is as interesting as possible, as fun as possible, as engaging, entertaining, uh, badass, whatever, whatever as possible, not just for my players, but also for the audience as well and the community that we've grown around Transplaner. And after that, uh, I, I'm kind of interested for the future, uh, for a Ndake campaign setting book, maybe, uh, coming out, working on one. We'll see, we'll see. Maybe that's a 2022 sort of, uh, a goal, but that is interesting to me. Um, especially because a lot of the positive feedback from the community, um, is, wow, the world is so interesting. How do we play in it? Like, what, you know, rules have you been using? Like, how, what, you know, strategies and tips might we pick up from you and exchange with you also? Because I'm always open to learning from other folks as well, for sure, um, about building these worlds that sort of, like, go against a normative narrative of what is fantasy adventure and what isn't. Um, So what about the rest of y'all?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How about Erica? You start.
3: Yeah, for me, uh, I really want to get this story out to as many people as possible. And I really love the idea. I'm of someone who loves numbers and analyzing things. So I just love like looking at our statistics and being like, well, how do we do better? How do we do the things we need to do to get as many people who need to see this story? How do we deliver this into their lap? And I think for me, 2021 is about that, you know, just getting the word out and being smarter about how we do that, being efficient, so. Yeah, and you mentioned how you were uh, uh,
0: involved in theater and with that being, at least on pause for the next uh, amount of time, uh, being able to go in and uh, tell this story virtually and spread it as well as you can, like, uh, you know, that's a a good place to put that energy, for sure. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Here's to more theater, though, coming very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Someday. Someday.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh Devin, right, what about Devin, you? What, what are your about- plans
7: for the future? Let's <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, huh? I know. got um, our eye on you. <laughs> so uh I am I mean there's a lot of like solid things that I'm like, all right, we I want to hit this follower goal and you know this kind of fun stuff. But uh one big thing that I've been looking to do and I haven't mentioned before, so this is gonna be an, news to all y'all exciting uh okay. i am planning i would like to uh gm my own campaign uh, in because we have on which is based on a lot of A-A-A-P-I, Asian i a what is it? asian asian
5: american pacific islander. asian
7: american pacific islander cultures which is amazing i studied i've been studying japanese for over a decade so it's wonderful to play in this world uh, but my heritage comes from Africa, and so I would love to play a campaign uh, alongside, or GM a campaign alongside trend, uh, our main campaign in Undaunted, where the cultures are instead based on African stories. Um, and I have a, a book. It isn't around me. Where did it go?
0: <laughs> it ran away. It's 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 it was actually Ruelic.
7: I'm sorry to let you know. <laughs> we, we got a runner. No, um, it's called. <laughs> It's called Kihanga, uh, Ki Kanga, K I space K H A N G A, and it's a rule system that instead of rolling dice, you draw cards from a deck of playing of standard playing cards, oh. um, and all of the mechanics and all of the stories and all of the everything in it is based on. It's the first big tabletop RPG to be based exclusively on African stories and cultures and histories, um, and. I'm really excited to do something with it uh hopefully for twenty twenty one that's great that's a great source of inspiration it sounds like yeah um,
0: it's
1: a really good goal
7: max what
0: are what are your twenty twenty one goals
6: uh we started our initial idea was to make a podcast um and i love live streaming and i can't wait to hopefully turn this back into a podcast that people can listen to um not only our main campaign but like no, like spin off stuff. Uh, there was a series that Connie did called Unravel, which was a little bit more um, history and uh, it's like a horror podcast about um, the laboratory that my character used to work at. Um, oh, and I love that like kind of like, spin off series stuff. Um, and also, I'm really excited for all the new art that's going to come out this year because our community is full of talented artists. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Uh, and it makes me just so happy. That to see our characters, and that other people love the stuff that we do as much as we do, Yes,
0: yeah, so there's something about getting that visualization of your character for the first time when you're not even expecting it that mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it's tear inducing. there's no other word for it, right? Like it' just yeah, real joy, like I didn't even think that, but it, this is what was in my head. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wonderful, so I can't wait for more of that. All right,
1: C. What about you? What are your goals? Uh, yeah, I mean that actually
4: that actually uh, brings it right right back home, Max. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm a professional dancer, or I used to be uh, when I was allowed to go outside, which I'm not. <laughs> uh, uh, so I have actually turned to digital art uh, as a you know a freelance way to you know make my living. Uh, And as well as uh, another creative outlet. So I personally am hoping to, you know, I've done the campaign art for Transplaner, uh, the like character reference sheets, uh, headshots for our overlay, et cetera, et cetera. But I am interested in trying to develop at least some kind of um, um, what's the word for when you do it often? Uh consistent? Con, uh consistent consistent <laughs> yes i am interested in uh creating uh consistent art releases for transplanar like maybe one like drawing one scene per
1: episode oh that's a great idea
4: yeah and like having that be uh released alongside our episodes when they come out on youtube so mm-hmm. that's 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 my goal who knows what'll happen but we'll see
0: nice Well, the art sounds fantastic, but when you first started talking, I thought you were going to be creating a dance for each episode.
4: Interpretive dance. Maybe I will. Uh, will.
0: TikTok, I feel like that's a thing. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be real big, people. (laughs) 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 Well, it's been a joy, uh, honestly, seeing your joy in in, in talking to each other and the community that you all have. In speaking, uh, just here on this interview is is on full display, and I love it. And uh, people can follow Transplanar RPG on all of the platforms to find out more uh, and start watching the streams, as well as all the ancillary projects that you're discussing. Um, and 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 please do more. Uh, be that beacon going forward, yes. because it is uh, a fantastic to behold.
5: Thank you so much for having us, Greg and Shelley, and for your kind and thoughtful questions. Uh, this was an absolute pleasure, such an incredible opportunity. Uh, yeah, again, thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. You're you are. Greg has used the right word. You are joy personified, um, and I'm excited about the work you're doing. And I think you are exactly what is great about the D and D community. So, thank you.
0: What a wonderful group of people getting together, telling stories, improvising, uh, making sure that the things that are important to them uh, are shown to a larger community uh, to be a beacon. I mean, I love that metaphor a and beacon. it is very Me true. Too.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, this is, I'm going to say a cliche that I, I really don't love, but I'm going to say it. My heart is full. Your heart is full. My heart is full.
0: I like that. They're um, just
1: really wonderful.
0: They Exactly. And uh, if you're looking for uh, new stories to tell that don't fall into a lot of uh, the Western European tropes of, of fantasy, let's, let's be honest, we've all read those a thousand times, uh, if not a thousand thousand times, but here is uh, some, some great new material uh, to jump into. So, uh, yeah, definitely give them a follow. And I can't wait to see what they're they're coming out with uh, in the future. All those 2021 plans. We got
1: got a lot. A lot of goals there. Yep.
0: I like it. I have a lot of goals too. One of them is getting through this outro. Uh, So, where can you follow you, Shelly?
1: You can follow me at Shelly Moo on Instagram and Twitter. And
0: you, Greg? Greg Tito at Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. But of course, if you want to find out everything about what's going on in D&D, Dungeonsanddragons.com is a good place to start. You can download Dragon Plus to your phones, get some great bi-monthly content there. There's a new issue coming out in February uh, that we're planning that has tons of great stuff, some of which may even be previews for Candlekeep Mysteries coming out on March 16th. Yeah. So mark your calendars for that, and uh, you can access all that can't, content on Dragon Plus, on Dragon Magdy at KM. I should do it with an accent like that. the whole time. You um, do it. And uh, that's where you get all the D and d stuff, right well, yes yeah. yes that, and that
1: that's the important stuff, really. let's be it honest. Is. it is the d and d stuff
0: the d and d stuff is the important stuff. Um, and I want to continue the ongoing story of Drunky Two shoes and Daryl's shoe shoes as they are on the open waters after having rescued Daryl. Uh, your friendly sailor friend says, huh, Oh man, that was fun. <laughs> what a good exercise yeah. we just got um totally yeah, by the way uh, my name is uh Salazar
1: hey salazar uh i'm I'm drunkie. this is my brother Daryl <laughs> and my other brother Daryl
0: I don't think I've ever really. uh done a rescue without even knowing who I was rescuing
1: really appreciate your help, Salzar. Uh So, um, Daryl, I, I want to check Daryl out and make sure Daryl's okay. Are you healthy? Are you okay? And then I would really like to know what the hell happened.
0: Uh, he's sputtering still. Uh, Daryl is, uh, uh, like, you know, he just, he's gone in full uh, uh, licking of his fur coat mode, trying to get the seawater off uh, of him. Uh, and okay. he, he looks at you and he's like, what do you mean?
1: What do you mean? What do I mean? What happened? I what don't
0: know. Ha- it's not my fault.
1: No, Daryl, I've been for years looking for you. We were in the jungles of Chalt one day and then you were gone.
0: Well, i it's a long story. I—I, I, 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 So much has happened since then. But I mean, you know, that was just a bum uh, swindle. Did you leave? Chult on purpose? Well, maybe I didn't want to get eaten by a uh, dead, undead T-Rex that was belching up zombies. Uh, so, yeah, I left Chult.
1: You didn't tell me.
0: Well, we Why would you separated. leave me there? I did, well, I,
1: you never even tried to find me, Daryl.
0: I figured my older sister would be able to figure it out.
1: Daryl, I have dedicated the last two years of my life looking for you everywhere.
0: Well, I have dedicated the last minute of defending myself from you.
1: So you didn't even want to be rescued? I was like, gonna... You would have guy... gotten out of it, and then you would have just carried on and just moved along to your next location.
0: Um, he looks at you and then looks at uh, the other sailors on board. And uh, they're all looking at him and waiting for his response because they've never seen two tabaxes fight like this. Um, (laughs) Does it just sound
1: like. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) Um, And oh, I don't have a D20 handy. Um, He attempts to uh, wink at you.
1: Okay. Okay. Can I do like a. Ew. What's the why? I can't even think of it to to see if inside he's check? lying? In, insight. Yes. yes okay. Can an I do check? an insight check? Yes. I rolled a one.
0: <laughs> you rolled a one. <laughs> uh, I'm so desperate. So you That's take so you you take uh, what he's saying at at face value, and uh, you're still pissed.
1: I'm really pissed, and I'm gonna go. I need a minute. Well, I just I, need
0: a minute. Uh, fine, take a minute. I'm still cleaning. I'm still taking a shower here. Leave me alone. Drunk and he, he just, looking at him, and then the other sailors start to move away. And then, oh yeah, you're okay. you're a little bit pissed, and you're kind of losing. Yes, I'm just go gonna to,
1: go to like, like, the bow of the boat and just have a moment.
0: Okay. Alone. the The, the breeze is blowing. You got some salt air. You You've accomplished yeah. what was your goal, but it feels a little bit. Uh, you're You're a little bit yeah. crestfallen, and that's where we'll end. Mm. Okay. We'll see what happens yeah. or what is really going on uh, maybe next time.
1: Okay. The plot thickens. <laughs> <laughs>